Oklahoma Sooner softball told UCLA, get out of here with that mess. We're number one. We're going to talk about that and some recruiting stuff on tonight's episode of Locked On Sooners Live. Thank you for joining us. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners Live on a Monday night, 9 p.m. Central Time. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh on Ref. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref and Norman. We've got a great show tonight, a lot to talk about. But first, we want to discuss what happened with the storms last night. There was a lot of destruction and damage uh, throughout Central, You know, a little bit into the eastern part of Oklahoma, uh, Josh, you're in Norman. You've seen a lot of what's gone on and what what people are dealing with, um, and we just felt like it was important to at least you know share. Um, we're thinking about you guys. You know, for those who are dealing with destruction and and their houses have been damaged, um, man, just know that praying for you, thinking about you, um, Josh. No doubt. Yeah, well said. Completely agree. It uh, took me, and this is so insignificant in the grand scheme of things but just to put into perspective some of the damage around my house in our neighborhood it took me a drive that maybe takes eight minutes any other day it took me an hour to get uh, into the radio station this morning just to leave our neighborhood because of power lines that had gotten knocked down and actually it's you know was more damaging more devastating just just that little bit a mile east or less than a mile east. So I, I've seen, you know, some of the damage up close and personal right in our neighborhood. It just missed where I live. So I feel very fortunate and blessed that just uh, we, we got lucky, basically. But I know others weren't fortunate. Uh, and obviously there's a ton of property damage. I hope everybody's safe. That's, you know, you get into this severe storm season. And ultimately, I know that, look, uh, the the financial side, the property side, that's, that's obviously – that that's a big part of people's well-being in a sense, right? It's you, you don't want to see you don't want to see your your home get ripped apart, but ultimately the most important thing is that everybody's safe. So I hope that's the case. And uh, obviously, uh, just thinking of everybody everybody out there. Yeah, it's it's always unfortunate when something like this transpires. And I mean, being in Oklahoma, being you know, if you're from Oklahoma, I mean, you've seen it a lot, um, but you've also seen people rally together. And this is where like the beauty of being an Oklahoman comes together is neighborhoods, communities, they rally together to support one another. And if there's anything that we can do here on Locked On Sooners to, to support you, whether it's just putting your story out there, um, just let us know. We'd love to be a part of helping you out. But uh, we got a lot of sports to talk about tonight because it was a busy, busy sports weekend uh, for the Oklahoma Sooners. And Josh, we got to start with the top story on the diamond, and that was the Oklahoma Sooners softball team went to uh, California, went five and zero, but they picked up a, I think significant might be an understatement on that front uh, win by beating the UCLA Bruins and not just beating them, absolutely dominating them. It was a game that really from the jump, Oklahoma was all over Megan Faramo. Like she did not have any room to breathe. 
in that first inning. And it was all Oklahoma from the start. Well, and Alex Starocco was great for Oklahoma. So I think that is, uh, that's notable for, for OU for a, a couple of reasons that uh, obviously Oklahoma entrusted Starocco to pitch in this type of game versus this type of opponent that, you know, 20 hits, 14 runs, and a bunch of zeros and a run rule victory on the board is great. And it's a huge statement for Oklahoma. But ultimately, when we get down the road, outside of just the, the, the psych you out factor, ultimately you meet up in the women's college world series. How much does, does this result matter later? Okay. We can have that debate. I would argue still a little bit because you flexed your muscle and it's pretty clear who number one is between Oklahoma and UCLA, but probably where it matters the most, John is just the idea that look, Oklahoma's bats heated up. They went yard and a bunch of folks went yard and Staraka was great. She hadn't really, well, because she's a transfer to Oklahoma and has been on a big stage in Michigan, John, she hasn't been on this massive stage with Oklahoma. Okay, this isn't the Women's College World Series, but this could be your biggest competition to an, a third consecutive national championship. So with all of that at play, the the bats, of course, they, they knocked around 20 hits and, again, all the runs that they scored. The most important thing to me was what Starocco did. I, I thought that was huge for Oklahoma. Yeah, so Alex Starocco – the Michigan transfer, she allowed just three hits, no walks, five strikeouts in five innings pitched. And I think it is huge that she got the ball in that situation because she's been really, really good this year. But I think you could have easily gone with Nicole May. You, I mean, Patty Gasso is very confident in Jordy Ball and her ability, but you go with Alex Tarocco, who is the veteran on this staff. She's thrown a ton of innings in her career and wasn't at all uh, in awe of UCLA wasn't at all like taken aback. She came out and she was just, you know, firing away from the beginning, you know, get letting them put the ball in play, but in areas that wasn't dangerous, um, you know, never allowed more than one hit in an inning. And so to be able to do that and have that kind of a dominating performance, uh, it's just incredible. And, you know, it, it's a team that coming into that game, the offense had been good, right? I mean, I wrote a, I wrote a story about it Sunday morning at, over for Sooner, Sooner's Wired about how the offense had been pretty good. They're averaging they were averaging almost nine runs a game uh, going into the UCLA game, but it just felt like there was something just a little bit not quite right about the offense. But they were averaging eight runs a, or eight almost nine runs a game. But what I felt like was okay. Tiara Jennings really hadn't started to heat up yet. Well, on you know Friday after not ha- having a hit against you know Cal State Fullerton or Texas A&M, she goes on Saturday and Sunday and does what she does. I think she was three for five on Saturday, uh, two for three or two for four. I can't remember exactly on Sunday against UCLA. I'm going to look at it real quick. Uh, sorry, three for four on Sunday against UCLA uh, with a home run and four RBIs. I mean, the player that is kind of the preseason favorite to be the national player of the year had just kind of been okay through the first couple weekends of the season. And even into Friday, well, she turned it on on Saturday and was one of the best players in the tournament on the field on Saturday and Sunday. Um, and you need her to be like, you need her to be one of the best players in softball, which she is. And it was just a matter of time till she started to really turn things on. And, I, and that's what we saw you know, a three for four performance against the UCLA pitching staff that would have like two no hitters in the previous week and had beaten several top, you know, 25 teams like 
Alabama and Florida state and Florida and Kentucky, uh, Virginia tech, like their, their wins, honestly, they look more impressive just based on top 25 rankings and Oklahoma's. And then Oklahoma went in and did that. And, and your, your best player showed up in the biggest game of the season to this point and was the best player on the field. I mean, and I mean, you could even argue Kinsey Hansen and we'll, I want to talk about her too, because she was out for the first couple of weeks, the first couple of tournaments of the season, uh, had an appendectomy, missed some time, you know, rightfully so, but came back on Friday, got a pinch hit performance, RBI, her first at bat drives in a run, uh, gets an opportunity to start against uh, Texas A&M later that night. Again, an RBI performance. She had an RBI in every single game this weekend for the Sooners and then erupted you know, four RBIs going into the game against UCLA. She has two home runs, five RBIs against the Bruins. And you get that bat going again, a player who hit 24 home runs in 2021. You get her going again, her leadership, the veteran savvy that she has. The team just looked so much more confident having her back in the dugout and, and ready to play. I mean, it, it was a it's just really good to get her back in the lineup. What a confidence boost to this team. And it's so obvious that Oklahoma was on a mission to show, yeah, uh, Baylor loss is not this Oklahoma program. And probably they heard a little bit of the noise about, look what UCLA has done to this point and on and on and on. And lo and behold, not even just the UCLA game, John, just the weekend itself. We wondered what this Mary Nutter Collegiate Classic would have in store from a weather standpoint were they how many of these games were they going to get in what was that going to look like and ultimately what it looked like is they got all of them in and oh by the way Oklahoma run rules in for the five so for anybody out there and there's a certain softball media member yes that Oklahoma fans are letting have it letting it letting her have it back a little bit because hey would you would you Toss that narrative out there about the University of Oklahoma and they're not going to hit a bajillion home runs the way they did a season ago. And then lo and behold, the team comes out and resembles a lot of what we remember from Oklahoma last season, John, where they run ruling for the five. And oh, by the way, they hit six home runs. And Kinsey Hansen, yes, you're absolutely right, was a, I think you have to say, if if she didn't directly unlock this offense, she gets a, a hand in it this weekend and just that little bit extra over the top in the lineup for Oklahoma. But it looked like OU that we remember from these past couple of seasons. And not that OU hadn't looked that way at different junctures this season. It just everything kind of pointed to this UCLA date to end it. But, oh, by the way, it was terrific for Oklahoma all along the way. It was a perfect 5-0 and weekend, and then they go put the big stamp on it by dominating UCLA, who, again, might be the big hurdle to a national championship. So what a weekend. I mean, it just doesn't get much better for Oklahoma than it was. You're exactly right. And the one game that they didn't run rule, oh, they just won by seven. You know, just, just barely won by seven. Um, so it's a team that really put a, it all together. Uh, you know, several shutouts. What was it? Three shutout wins uh, against you know Cal State, Fullerton, Texas A&M, and UCLA. Uh, and then they also got the run rule win against Loyola, Loyola Marymount. Um, they're they're pitching well. They're hitting well. Argue, I mean, and and the pitcher that most people consider to be the best pitcher in on the staff, Jordy Ball. I, th- I think she's having a bit of a sophomore. I don't, I don't even call it a slump, but just a, you know, I think people have have seen her now. And so she's going to have to figure out, okay, she's going to have to make some adjustments. 
um, or lock back in and, and be the Jordy ball that we saw a year ago. I mean, she's been good, but I don't think she's necessarily lived up to the greatness expectations um, that, that we had kind of come to expect. Um, that's not her fault. I mean, she had such a great true freshman season that of course the expectations were going to be lofty. Um, but I mean, Nicole may has been fantastic. Alex Taraka has been fantastic. You know, Bobby McKay mentions Kirsten deal. She's been incredible as well. I mean, the true freshmen that have gotten an opportunity to play have been amazing. Jocelyn Erickson, she leads the team in home runs, batting average RBIs. Your true freshman does that. So, I mean, will that hold up the, the entirety of the season? Maybe, maybe she's getting enough plate appearances to be a significant contributor to this team. Um, you know, she's, she's getting opportunities and she's hitting well, you know, even against UCLA, she didn't have any RBIs, but she still went two for three and had a run scored. Uh, you know, so she's doing her part. Um, but I mean, she's providing the power and, you know, the, the run driving inability, which is great. You know, while you, you've had that while Tierra Jennings kind of gets settled in. And the craziest thing about all this is you still have a player in Sydney Sanders who hasn't really gotten going yet either. Uh, this is a player who hit 21 home runs a year ago for Arizona state was a national freshman of the year. Finalist had 60 something RBIs hit, hit 425, um, which is hard to do in the PAC 12. That's a really good softball conference in its own right. And she was amazing last year. Just hasn't really found her groove yet, but when she does, my goodness, this team is going to be something else. Uh, you know, and then we just talked about Kinsey Hansen coming back. Jada Coleman has been an on-base machine. I feel like every time I'm, I'm looking at, you know, what's going on on the field, she's got on base again, whether it's leading off the game or leading off an inning, she just gets on base. And then her defensive ability is just spectacular. I mean, if it wasn't for Grace Lyons, Jada Coleman might be the best defensive player in softball. And I don't think that's much of a stretch. And she might even be the best defensive player in softball and, and which is crazy to think. And uh, this just, this team has just been so, so good and they can get better. They can even get better. And that is to me, just mind boggling that we haven't even seen the best of this team just yet. They were fantastic against UCLA with that 14, nothing win, definitely their best win of the season, but it can still get better. Now they're going to have, you know, tough tests along the way. They'll have some road trips that are challenging along the way that, you know, might trip them up or give them more challenges, things like that. Not nothing's going to be simple for this team because everybody's going to be gunning for them and going to give them their best. But this team is really good, really, really good. And that Baylor team is also really good. We're seeing that as well. And man, this weekend, I think just re-solidified who the number one team in the nation is who the top dog is, who everybody is chasing. And that's the Oklahoma Sooners. I mean, one Baylor loss shouldn't have changed uh, everybody's opinion in that regard, but Hey, UCLA had, had looked good up until they ran into Oklahoma, right? They had, they had looked like a, maybe the number one team in America. And obviously Oklahoma had a blemish on its resume, but man, it is what it is until somebody unseats Oklahoma and, or until Oklahoma in these next coming years has some stretch where it loses six of eight or four of eight or whatever it could look like one loss. You can't say it's not still Oklahoma. They are the champs until proven otherwise. And the champs came out and made a statement that we're not going anywhere. And yes, they're going to continue to get better. And that's why I, you know, not to say this to be arrogant or whatever for Oklahoma, 
Plank, I, I, I know a couple of times has said, well, what's going to happen when you have to restock and you don't have a TRA Jennings or a Jada Coleman? Well, guess what? There's going to be a Jocelyn Erickson. There's going to be somebody else. Th- this program continues to restock and reload. And oh, by the way, the transfer portal, like you said, you've got additions there that haven't totally found their rhythm yet. This team's only going to get better. The program's not going anywhere. And until somebody, when it matters most, John, proves that they're no longer the gold standard, Oklahoma is the gold standard in softball, and that's not changing anytime soon. Not at all. It's not. And again, they've got, they've had so many contributions from so many players. I mean, Sophia Nugent, she's been fantastic, you know, really filling in at, as one of the catchers for this Oklahoma team. I mean, she's hitting 455. I don't know if that's a player that was on many people's radar going into the year, but has a couple home runs herself and, and has been really, really good. Uh, you look at, like I said, Sydney Sanders, she's only hitting 250 on the season. Uh, Elena Torres, another you know, transfer from Arizona State who hit you know well over 300. She's only hitting 269 right now. Alyssa Brito has been, I mean, one of your better players so far this season, she's got three home runs, 15 RBI. She's hitting 368. So you're starting to get contributions up and down the lineup and, you know, getting your players back like Kinsey Hansen. Grace Green off the bench has been fantastic. She's hitting 400 with a home run and five RBIs. Like what a great opportunity and what a really a great resource for Patty Gasso to be able to go to the bench with a veteran presence like Grace Green, bring her in and just know like, she's probably going to get us a hit or she's going to drive somebody in. Like she's just that good uh, of a player to be able to bring off your bench. It's like, uh, you know, back when the Lakers were bringing like Robert Ori off the bench, you know, to, to help seal NBA championships that and kind of grace green is that like that veteran presence, you know, is going to come through for you in the clutch. Um, but yeah, it's just been a team that has really, really played well. Um, they they've got a lot going for them and they got a great weekend coming up. Uh, this next weekend in Norman, back at Marita Heinz Field, get to open the season uh, with Incarnate Word and the University of Kentucky. Kentucky is a top 25 team, number 14 in the D1 softball ranking. So that should be an interesting matchup as well. Uh, Josh, what else What else do you want to say? What else can we say really about this Oklahoma softball team? Oh, just that, again, it's a juggernaut. It was a massive statement weekend for Oklahoma. I didn't expect anything different. I, I Well, Look, I continue to sometimes just be wowed by Oklahoma. I say I don't expect anything different. If I'm being totally fair, I did not expect 14 to nothing. Maybe a couple of home runs. What wasn't necessarily expecting six, but it's OU softball. So then in the same vein, I can't say that I'm totally shocked either. But uh, I did expect a big-time response from Oklahoma this past weekend, whatever that looked like. I thought they were going to beat UCLA. Uh, told you last week I didn't want to live in any universe where Jin Schroeder could do another victory lap around Oklahoma. Didn't think that was going to happen. OU didn't let that happen. So impressive weekend. And now guess what? They, uh, they come home for the home opener for the OU tournament where uh, you got what UIC and then a couple versus uh, Kentucky should be fun for Oklahoma fans that have been waiting to get a look at this team in person. Yeah. And to break down the numbers real quick uh, from our buddy, Seth Olivares, uh, excellent Twitter follow. Uh, if you're not familiar with his work over at Seth Oliveris, big softball guy. Um, he always breaks it down after every uh, game, kind of where Oklahoma's at. 13-1, and 4-1 and one versus top 25 teams, nine run rule wins, 
outscoring opponents 123 to 13, 21 home runs, nine shutouts, five errors in the 14 games, 110 strikeouts through 81 innings and a five game win streak. So doing all the work for you there. Um, just crazy. We, we love, we love to be amazed. And you'd think that after several seasons of seeing this team at work, that we could no longer be surprised. And yet here they were offering up a 14, nothing shellacking of uh, what was once the number one team in the nation for a brief moment in time. Uh, but coming up, we're going to talk through some recruiting stuff, man. There's some exciting and not so exciting stuff happening on the hardwood as well. Uh, we'll talk through other Oklahoma football nuggets as well. Uh, on today's episode of Locked On Sooners Live. But first, let me talk to you about Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar ever. If you haven't tried it, I highly recommend it. It tastes great and it's great for you. Anywhere from you know 13 to 17, 18 grams of protein, 130 calories. It's fantastic. Low carb, low sugar, high protein, low calorie. It's it's really the best thing you can get. It is Built Bar. Great flavors like peanut butter brownie, which is my personal favorite, mint brownie, coconut almond, coconut brownie chunk, built puffs, you name it. They got it. Flavors for everybody. Go to built.com. Use promo code locked on, sorry, locked 15. Use promo code locked 15 to get 15% off your next order over at built.com using promo code locked 15. So Josh, some interesting nuggets came down the recruiting wire. I guess we can call it that uh, today um, from rivals. And it was Jeff Ketchum. Texas insider over at rivals who sorry, I get distracted by the chat sometimes who uh, issued rivals future cast for a couple Oklahoma targets. One of them being Nigel Smith, the other Caden Durham, Caden Durham, the four star running back out of Duncanville a player who's considered top 20th position um, and another potential feather in the cap for DeMarco Murray, somebody who's got a lot of speed, a lot of athleticism, agility, and is just a big time playmaker uh, that Oklahoma could be adding to their roster. I mean, everything's kind of been trending that way. Sam Spiegelman of on three athletics or on three recruiting issued a a prediction for Caden Durham to the Sooners back in December. And this one kind of continues to keep that trend alive. Well, I'm not worried about our man, DeMarco Murray finding running backs. The, any sort of complaint about DeMarco Murray in the recruiting capacity or department is so long gone. It's so ancient history for Oklahoma. Oh, by the way, I think you've got a incredible one, two punch on campus right now set to, to break out and be, I I don't know. I I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Javante Barnes and Gavin Sanchuk could be the best one, two punch in all of college football. I think, I think that's a, a, I'm not going to say that that's a guarantee, but I think it's a possibility for Oklahoma. So I love what they have on campus. I love what they've they've brought in and Hicks and Smothers. And, oh, by the way, it ain't going to stop. DeMarco Murray's going to keep finding guys, whether it's a Caden Durham, whether it's some of these other highly touted running backs. You're talking about somebody that, according to 24-7 Sports, John, is top 20 running back right now naturally, top 35 player in the state of Texas. Uh, obviously, the composite rankings, he's a little bit – further down the board than that though it's still early in the 24 class as we've discussed with so many different either signees or commits or targets for Oklahoma with the recruiting cycle being what it is this is sort of the 
first look we get the, at the 2024 ranking. So Durham's somebody that we could be talking about before this thing's all said and done as a top 10 running back type, top, top, you know, 50, top 100 national player type. He's not quite there to that point according to the composite rankings right now. But look, man, in terms of running back, I got no concerns about Oklahoma. I didn't really have concerns anyways because Oklahoma, just the rich history that you have at running back, lends itself, I think, John, to being able to land and sign running backs again and again and again. And then when you add somebody like DeMarco Murray to the mix who's doing the recruiting and making the sales pitch, then you wind up with uh, the news that we've got, which is Oklahoma might be the one that wins in this recruiting race against both in Alabama and in LSU. Yeah, and, and Durham, along with a guy like Jeremy Payne, another four-star running back that Oklahoma's trending favor- favorably for, I mean, of course you want to play for a guy like DeMarco Murray. I mean, it, it's a rare combination to find a former player who led the league in whether receiving or rushing at his position and also be a really good running backs coach and be able to get the best out of his guys. And I think we've seen that out of DeMarco Murray. Uh, over the last few years, whether it was Ramon J. Stevenson or uh, Eric Gray this past year, you know, Kennedy Brooks was really good um, already, uh, but having DeMarco Murray and, and be a part of his coaching, I think that helped his, you know, his senior season with the Oklahoma Sooners last year or in 2021. Uh, but then Eric Gray, just having the breakout performance that he had a year ago, he became, he became a feature back. He became a guy that you can give the ball to 20, 25 times a game and rely upon. And I don't think that was the reputation on Eric Gray going into the season. I think a lot of people thought, and myself included, thought he was kind of a 15 touch guy. And you give the other, you know, five, 10, you spread that out against or amongst the rest of the depth chart. But under DeMarco Murray and with his tutelage, DeMarco Murray's understanding of what you have to do to be a workhorse back because DeMarco Murray was that for the Dallas Cowboys for several years, especially the year that he led the league in rushing. It, I mean, Eric Gray kind of transformed himself. Like he, he became a stronger, more physical back, adding to the elusiveness uh, that he had already previously. He just became a runner that was able to bounce off tackles and, uh, you know, make plays after contact, which I don't know if he was that guy in 2021. You know, but he got, he was the guy that was expected to take the reins and he rebuilt himself to be able to do that. So, um, yeah, man seeing Oklahoma trending for these four-star running backs. I mean, that's potentially, you know, three classes in a row that they'll have really highly rated, you know, running back recruits. Um, So good stuff. Nigel Smith, another four-star. Go ahead. You wanted to say something there, Josh? Yeah, I just wanted to say I've watched a a very small snippet of Caden Durham's tape. I'm watching it as we speak. I love the, the patience that he has, and yet he hits that second gear. It's like... Boom. Once he hits it, it's quick, man. So he's got, uh, he's a track guy. He ran 100 meter times of 10.7 and 10.72. So, I mean, my man, Mr. Durham can fly. And I think the other thing to watch here with Oklahoma, just kind of what you hear from uh, a bunch of folks on the recruiting trail is there's only a couple of seats on the bus for Oklahoma at running back, or there's a couple of seats on the uh, train and it's about to depart from the station and you don't want to miss your train ticket to the University of Oklahoma. So I think that's kind of working here at running back is Oklahoma's probably only to take a couple, and they're in on a bunch of top-flight names. And, oh, by the way, they have the track record, John, here of late that they're going to sign those names. So, again, you want to see it on the bus? You want to get on the train to Norman? You better hop on quick. 
And, and that's like uh, Marlo Stanfield from the wire said, that's one of them good problems. If you're Oklahoma, uh, you're going to have, you know, players that want to come play for you and are kind of almost jockeying and competing amongst themselves to land those spots. So another player that Oklahoma received a rivals future cast prediction from Texas insiders, Jeff Ketchum. Uh, and also I, I feel like I should mention like having a Texas analyst recruiting analyst acknowledge Oklahoma's uh, spot in these recruitments and acknowledge where Oklahoma sits with these recruitments. I think that's significant. And I think that that matters. Um, I think it gives me a little bit more confidence that these are going to, this is going to take place. Caden Durham's a guy that's been offered by Texas. So if this guy thinks that it's looking more and more likely that Oklahoma is going to land him, then I kind of take, I, I think that's important. I think that's significant. I know nothing's final until it's final, but it seems significant at the time. Uh, Nigel Smith, Four-star player out of Melissa, Texas, a guy that is really good, really, really good. 6'5, 260, according to 247 Sports. Already has a couple um, crystal balls in uh, over there from some of our friends over at OU Insider, including Brandon Drum, Parker Thune. Gets a rivals future cast from Jeff Ketchum, Texas Insider. So looking more and more likely, again, that a, a four-star, highly regarded defensive line prospect, a guy that currently ranks in the what the top 50. He's number four, sorry, number 40 in the 247 sports composite, number six defensive lineman, and number seven in the state of Texas, heavily trending towards the Oklahoma Sooners. We think we think an edge guy for Nigel Smith. I mean, he's getting recruited by both Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis. And actually his primary recruiter is Todd Bates per 24 seven sports. I'm, I'm watching his tape and it looks like typically, at least from this now, I, I would trust the professionals that are out there watching the young man more often than I am at Melissa high school, but it looks like he's right now kind of more edge type guy up front for Oklahoma, but six foot five, 260 pounds already. If that's what his weight is, John, I mean, obviously it looks like he's got great acceleration from the perimeter, uh, natural getting off blocks, uh, pass rushing moves, and you can work on the rest of it of, Hey, do we want to fill him up and get him inside? If you really want to go that route, obviously, as, as you pointed out, I mean, right now he's a top 10 defensive line guy, and, oh, by the way, he's top 40 nationally. So you'll figure that other thing out, right, whether he's going to be an inside or an outside guy. Yeah, I think just get him on campus and then figure that out. I mean, he's a guy that I think he fits the the multiple defensive front idea concept that Brent Venables would like. He'd like his defensive ends to be able to play, you know, 3-4 three, three, edge or 3-4 defensive end, you know, 4-3 edge, be able, be able to move inside out, play a little defensive tackle in pass rush situations in a four-man alignment. And, I mean, because Ethan Downs is kind of that big. He's that tall, that size. And I think this kind of fits more of that mold, uh, maybe a little bit more of the Rondo Bothroyd type, you know, a guy that can flex inside and out depending on your defensive front and down in distance. So again, you get enough of those guys that can play multiple positions and multiple alignments, and that's just going to make your defense better. But I, I bet I would say he's probably leaning more to edge to start his career, but I mean, he definitely has the frame to add 20, 30 pounds to, um, and potentially not lose any explosiveness. Uh, but I'm, I'm usually of the mind that, you know, if a guy has that, that size, that length, and he's able to 
you know, do the things that he can do at 260. I just say build on that, like just make him stronger, make him faster at 260 and let him rush the edge because he's going to have the length to really give offensive tackles a lot of fits. Um, and then, yeah, let him be that guy. And then on pass rush in pass rushing, pass rushing situations, flex him in as a three tech and just let him give guards fits with his quickness and athleticism. So, I mean, you're going to have a lot to work with uh, when you've got Derek LeBlanc and Adepoja Adabare and uh, potentially Nigel Smith and whomever else ends up in Norman. I mean, our Mason Thomas, that's a guy I've kind of slept on. I forgot, completely forgot about him until a workout video. I was like, Oh yeah, that dude's got juice. He's going to be a lot of fun to watch this year in his second year with the Sooners. So um, that's kind of where I lean is let's let him continue to play on the edge let him continue to physically develop. He's not having to take a pounding on the inside gets to get his feet wet um, as a defensive end. And then if you feel like as he goes along in his Sooners career that you want to add, you know, 20, 30 pounds, he's going to have the frame to do that. So you got options there. You got options. Um, let's, let's talk David stone because you, I mean, you threw that out to me, uh, but also people are talking about it as well, but David stone going to go on a visit to Texas A&M. Um, you know, Visits are visits. Kids are going to take as many visits as they, as they can. And I mean, this is a time for them to get kind of wind and dine a little bit and really um, have the red carpet rolled out for them. You got, you had to know that Texas A&M was going to try and be a factor in this for some time, because this is just what Texas A&M does. They go after defensive line prospects and they're going to try and stockpile as many as they can create this monopoly over them and, or at the position and of course they'd go after David stone. I wouldn't be surprised, uh, but I, I still think it's going to be, you know, Oklahoma or Michigan state. I don't, I still feel it's pretty confidently going to be Oklahoma, but I, I don't know. This just seems to me more like, Hey, David, come down here and check it out. And David's like, Hey, I don't, I don't have anything else to do this weekend. Let's go check it out. Well, you know, for Nigel Smith, who we were just talking about, a and is one of the three perceived favorites, uh, in that race right there too. So AM's done a good job. AM's done a good job of late with uh, guys up front. And so obviously you have that type of recent track record and probably some of those guys are in David Stone's ear a little bit that this is a place you want to come check out in college station. But uh, I still like Oklahoma's position on it. What I think is pretty interesting with David Stone is uh, the disrespect that David Stone felt that he got on three, what had him ranked all the way back, which look, this is ladies and gentlemen, this is not a bad ranking to be ranked 64th nationally and seventh at your position. That That's not all bad to be a four star 64 national guy. But uh, obviously David Stone quote tweeted that from on three, who I guess just came out with updated rankings and he was all the way back at 64, which is different, right? That's much lower then you see across the board at a 24 seven sports or arrivals. And he said, this just uh, adds fuel to a fire. So I don't know if that factors in, in any way, shape or form to the recruitment. Right. I mean, I'm sure everybody's playing that angle up with David stone that, Hey, we can, we can turn you into the five-star this or that, but uh, I don't think it's bad from a development standpoint. I mean, it's always nice to have somebody who's motivated. Yeah. Get a defensive tackle with a chip on his shoulder. Like that's all right. Like there's nothing wrong with that guys, guys play a little bit angrier when they got that chip on their shoulder and they're going to be a little bit more physical, a little more mean. I, I don't know, man. 
it's it's still really early in the cycle. Like this time a year ago, remember Jackson Arnold was a four star player. Um, I think he might have still been ranked outside the top 100 in 247 sports and rivals and on three and all that. Uh, but you know, worked himself into a, a much better position at the end of the rankings. So I don't know the whole Texas A&M thing. Like I don't blame kids going on, on visits. It doesn't bother me. You know, well, even if you're committed, it really doesn't bother me because it is what it is. Now, obviously you'd prefer committed kids don't go on visits. I like Brent Venable's philosophy on that at the same time until they're signed. They're, there's not really anything you can do about it. Uh, and, you know, David Stone going to visit AM, like, let him go. Like, let him go see that the grass may not be greener out there in College Station. I've been to College Station. It's just kind of okay. There's nothing special about it. Sorry, Aggies fans. Not sorry. Um, you know, let him go see up at a, you know, East Lansing and, and see Michigan State. Like, that's okay. He knows what Oklahoma has to offer. He knows what Norman has to offer. He's from the area. He's not going to see anything different than what he's seen. He's visited Norman probably half a dozen times or more. So what else does he need to see there? He can go see other places. He's got the strong relationship with the coaching staff and with Todd Bates. None of that's going to change. It's just a matter of, you know, he, he needs to know that he knows that he knows. And that's what Brent Venable says. Like, don't commit until you know that you know that you know. And the only way he's going to know is by going on visits to other places and seeing that maybe it's not as good of a spot as Oklahoma. And if it is, it is like, if he goes to college station and he thinks that playing for Jimbo Fisher and alongside David Hicks is the best spot for him. It's a bummer. Yeah. It's disappointing, but again, it's his decision and it's, it, it is what it is. Good luck to you. Enjoy college station. Well, and Oklahoma, I, we've talked about it so much they do need a David stone type, right? You need, you need somebody that can be, uh, you know, an interior game wrecker. And yet Oklahoma is going to find guys They're they're, they're going to find dudes. It, it feels like, you know, I was maybe a little bit guilty of this too, that I trust Brent Venables and company, Todd Bates, Miguel Chavis. I trust they're going to figure it out, John, whether or not it's, through DJ Hicks and with David Stone. I would love, obviously I think it's a a primary recruit in this class for Oklahoma, but I trust that the, the in-house development, I think we're going to see that from, from Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis. And I'm excited to see these guys that they brought in, in in this class with the, the Atabares of the world, LeBlanc, what that looks like as you go forward. Yes. Would love a big nose tackle defensive, uh, you know, nose guard defensive tackle type, as Dominique says, you desperately, desperately need that interior guy. And you know what? The, the teams that win national championships typically have that guy. But uh, I trust that Brent Venables and company, are they're going to find that guy, whether it's Stone or somebody else in this class or these upcoming classes. John, I think they're going to get that, those couple of guys. And eventually, the thing that we've talked about on this show quite a bit, eventually the idea that this staff develops defensive tackle talent and you know they're they're able to recruit it at a high level and develop it to become NFL players. Eventually, that's going to sink in with prospects as they go back to you know the Gerald McCoys and the Tommy Harris and the Christian Wilkins and the Dexter Lawrences at Clemson. Like that'll ring true. The Vic Beasleys. Like they'll they'll start to realize like oh yeah, this staff knows how to find talent and develop it into what could be an NFL prospect. So 
and I think like, you know, David Hicks and David Stone, sorry, David Stone has that potential. You just got to get in the right situation with the right people to help that flourish. And, you know, and it's like John Garcia said on our show last week when he's talking about Todd Bates and, and relationships, it's like nothing's a sprint with Todd Bates. Everything's a marathon. Everything is, you know, you're, you're dating for a long time. Like you're not rushing any, into any you know marriage talks or anything like that. Like you're, you're building this thing. You're figuring out if you're the right fit uh, with each other. And, and I think that just, that does take time, but honestly, you don't know if you're a good fit unless you're able to, to see other things. Um, you know, if you're David Stone or, and that's okay. Like, you know, there'll come a point when this is all said and done. And a lot of this worry will probably be for not, I still feel really confident that it's going to be David Stone to Oklahoma. Another nugget on a four-star prospect that Oklahoma is very highly favored to, to land. And that's Michael Hawkins, uh, Parker Thune over at OU insider two, four, seven sports reported in the OU VIP lounge. If you haven't subscribed to that, highly recommend that, um, that Michael Hawkins will be visiting Oklahoma on March 4th. That's huge. Like, and he even said he did not expect Oklahoma to get a visit from Hawkins before making a decision between the Sooners and TCU, but to get Michael Hawkins back on campus, I think that, I think that bodes well for the Sooners. Will it lead to a commitment? It's hard to say, but I, even with the TCU stuff, I still felt pretty good that Michael Hawkins was going to be a Sooner. Yeah, me too. Uh, just because that's what you hear from the people in the know, right? That uh, that Hawkins has always been pretty strongly linked to Oklahoma. So hopefully that will be the first domino to fall in 2024. It's, uh, you know, I don't think you get into any sort of a panic right now about the 2024 class really because we're on the heels of Oklahoma showing you and telling me and everybody else be patient, let the summer happen, let the spring, let the summer happen. We're going to get guys committed. It's going to be a top five, top 10 class. R E L A X Aaron Rodgers. You might not have gotten everything right, but you got that one, right? Relax. Oklahoma fans. It's going to be okay. They're going to find uh, guys to commit, but it would be nice, right? Just a little bit of a little bit of a uh, little bit of relief to just see a couple of dominoes start to fall in the twenty-four class. And obviously, as everybody kind of always says, maybe it's a uh, maybe it's a football cliche in recruiting, but you get that quarterback, as uh, Dominic says right there, get that quarterback on board, and boom, you've got the foundational piece to start building your class out from, especially from a skill standpoint offensively. That's why. I, I've always been fascinated and asked John Garcia and a bunch of folks, John, whether or not that David Stone type can be that guy for you defensively. I would like to believe that's the case, but I feel like we know it on a pretty obvious proven track record that, guess what? Highly rated quarterbacks attract highly rated running backs and attract highly rated offensive linemen and attract highly rated wide receivers and on and on and on, okay? Like, the quarterback will bring those guys for you. Now, are they getting the defensive tackle and the linebacker and the safety? Okay, maybe not. But uh, you get a quarterback on board, that's a nice start. Speaking of the defensive tackle and the safety, uh, Michael Patterson-McDonald uh, finally got some rankings, four-star according to rivals. Uh, but he's a guy that could be the big needle mover with David Hicks. Like He's a guy that's trending towards Oklahoma or not David Hicks, David Stone, but he's a guy that's trending towards Oklahoma. He and David Stone are tight. That could bode well for the Sooners. Could not, could have nothing to do with it, but it's a kid that, that we really like someone that we've seen a little bit of that 
man, he, he looks like a ball player and uh, that's what Oklahoma needs, especially in the defensive secondary. Uh, but speaking of Michael Hawkins connections, I mean, you know, uh, Davin Mitchell is a player that is being kind of projected uh, as somebody that Oklahoma is very high on, or is he Oklahoma is very high on his list and is looking to reclassify to the 2024 class. But I mean, there's potential there that Michael Hawkins, uh, Davin Mitchell, the guy who's the five-star tight end prospect in 2025, looking to reclassify. That could be a huge get for both, you know, at both positions. And it's just what you talked about. If Michael Hawkins commits to Oklahoma, I think it makes it much more likely that a guy like Mitchell could end up committing to Oklahoma as well. So just a lot of, a lot of tea leaves to read, a lot of signs to, to see, but it's just like we saw a year ago. It's still really, really early for Oklahoma on the recruiting front. Yeah. I think they'll start to get some commits and start seeing, you know, a few dominoes fall, but it'll be, you know, after the spring game, after the champion barbecue, that will really start to see a ton of momentum on the recruiting trail for the Sooners, just landing commit after commit after commit, just like we saw last summer. I think it's something like they landed like 75% of their recruiting class in the June, July, August months. So don't sleep on them. This team can recruit. They'll be just fine moving forward. Well, and I think just, just even the, identification of some players i think you're, you're still going along in in that process too because you look at uh what the wide receiver out of louisiana that oklahoma offered what last week or whatever uh kj daniels i mean that's a three-star kid right now so let's see where that recruitment winds up and where oklahoma's in on uh his recruitment before it's all said and done and there'll be more names like that as we go along there were in this class so it won't it won't all always just be the the David Stones of the world that we're talking about. And some of these guys that aren't maybe that four or five star kid right now will wind up that way. That's Oklahoma's already proven that that's going to be the case. They did it in the last class. Yeah, we're not worried. The guys we talked to aren't worried. Nobody should really be worried. Uh, a lot of these guys are going to trend even higher as they go because again, Oklahoma's done a really good job at at. Uh, identifying talent. And I mean, we saw it last year, guys that were, you know, three-star prospects became four-star prospects, four stars became five stars. It's going to happen again this year as well. Uh, Josh, should we move to the hardwood where the Oklahoma Sooners got another, the men's team got a crazy win against Iowa state um, up in Ames of all places. One of the better, you know, venues in the big 12 right now, uh, 11 point win just a crazy win and a game that they were down big to start that game. And, and then just went on a run to finish the first half before really taking over in the second half. They just shot it really well. And they played really, really good defense in this one. Yeah. They, they frustrated Iowa state offensively. Uh, what did Iowa state end up shooting? Uh, like sub 35%, I think for the game and even worse than that sub 30 from three point range. So Oklahoma frustrated Iowa state defensively and, Obviously got to to race away in the second half. Jacob Groves knocks down four of five three-pointers. Where the heck has that been for Oklahoma? But they found it in Ames. This team, man, it's, uh, I don't know. I say I don't have them figured out or they're unpredictable. And yet, basically, this team is this. They're really not very good. But every once in a while, they're going to pull a rabbit out of a hat and beat somebody that's good. That That's basically who this OU team is right now. And they're going to lose close a lot. And then, you know what? 
when you think they're going to lose close, they're going to get blown out too. So it's, it's, that's why I say it's like, I, I know this team, but I don't know this team, but I know this team. It's a weird team. Yeah, it is a weird team, but it's a fun team to watch. I think they've really started just getting after it, playing a lot more aggressively uh, and, and assertively at times uh, over the last couple of weeks. And a lot of it, you know, right after Porter Moser said, I'm not interested in the Notre Dame job. It's like this team found its second gear all of a sudden, found some life. And maybe some of the rumors that were out there started to get to them a little bit because, man, they were not playing inspired basketball during their four-game losing streak. They've gone two and two with two top 25 wins. Um, over their last four, you know, close loss at Texas in overtime. Uh, and then, you know, they were they were hanging tough and hanging really – they were playing really well against Texas Tech. Texas Tech just had a really, really good shooting night. And then um, – and Oklahoma just struggled down the stretch, and that's kind of where that ended up. Uh, on the women's side of things, man, frustrating, just disappointing loss. You know, they, they packed out the link, uh, got 10,000-plus there. And I mean, that Texas defense, it is just something special and absolutely frustrated and uh, took Oklahoma completely out of their game. They just couldn't do anything in the second half. Yeah, disappointing. D- disappointing that obviously you had one half that was good on the hardwood and then the honestly the more important half, Oklahoma wasn't able to find that win inside the LNC. But Coach Ginny Baranchek's building a juggernaut. Don't Don't let it get twisted. She is uh, building this thing the right way. I think she's going to be in Norman, Oklahoma for a very long time, and I think she's going to win big at Oklahoma. If not right now this season, I think the the early writing is on the wall that uh, Ginny Baranchek and Oklahoma are on a big-time upward trajectory, and I just can't wait to see what continues to happen the rest of this year for them once you get into, uh, obviously, the Big 12 tournament, the big tournament, and then uh, what, what happens going forward for Coach Baranchek and company. All right, now that we've discussed some basketball, let's turn it back to football, um, as the, the commenters are suggesting, because, hey, we love football too. But one thing I want to ask, Josh, who do you think will have a breakout season in 2023 for the Oklahoma Sooners? Well, I teased it earlier. I obviously, would love for that to be on the defensive side of the football. And I think it's totally possible that we're talking about Danny Stutzman as one of the nation's finest at his position before the year's all said and done. But uh, honestly, I'm looking at Gavin Sanchuk, man. Based on what I saw versus Florida State, I just think you got something really, really special cooking in the backfield at Oklahoma. So to me, I think that he's going to wind up being the number one running back at Oklahoma before next season's all said and done. I know Javante Barnes, uh, obviously, nice start to his career. But, man, when you've got that extra dimension that it looks like Gavin Sanchuk does – I just think it's going to be hard for Oklahoma going forward to not be giving him carries. So one guy that I feel really good about a breakout season, and I think there's a number of wide receivers we could talk about, and I'm really hopeful, again, in closing on this question, that it's a defensive player or two or three or four or five that we're talking about with breakout seasons. That would obviously be more impactful for Oklahoma, but who am I most confident to have a breakout season? Mr. Sawchuck. I think he's due for a big-time, big-time sophomore year. Yeah, I'll, I'll pick a defensive guy, though, that I, I do think will have a really big year, and that's Robert Spears Jennings. I know this is, like, way under the radar, but and, and Oklahoma brought in a Reggie Pearson to play safety, but I think that Robert Spears Jennings saw the Peyton Bone recruitment, saw everything that people were saying about the safety position, watched Justin Broyles leave, and 
took a little bit of that to heart. I think he, you know, was like, okay, say less, you know, you're overlooking me a little bit. I'm going to play with a little chip on my shoulder. Like I can't remember what the exact word was on, you know, wording was on Twitter, you know, just, um, but it's like, it's kind of like bet. All right, here we go. And I really do think that that's a guy that plays with a lot of energy and a lot of intensity plays fast plays physical and is somebody that I think could thrive in Oklahoma's defense. I think he's going to have a chance to be a breakout star next to Billy Bowman at safety next year. Um, and it's kind of speaking on that front. Is there a 2022 defensive signing that you think could really break out or step into a, a significant role for the Sooners? Yeah, I'm probably looking backfield for Oklahoma. I'm probably thinking either. I mean, just judging off what Brent Vittable said in his most recent media availability where he brought all the newcomers in and said that football's easy for Peyton Bowen. Look, I, I know that that's the low-hanging fruit, but he's on my radar, man, that Peyton Bowen's the five-star kid that comes in, and he's just special from day one. But I also think Vickers has got a chance. Really, uh, a number of those defensive backs as signees, I think, have, have good chances. If P.J. Adebare can add a little bit of weight between now and then, I was a little bit surprised that he was as, you know, and you say this, somebody's like 230 pounds, but uh, I was a little bit surprised that he was as slight as he was when you first saw those first measurables for him. So he's obviously going to have a chance just because he's another five-star kid. But, uh, I mean, it'd be great if it's any any of these defensive signees. LeBlanc, I mean, they need help up front. You really can't go wrong, right? I mean, any level of the defense, let's hope a couple of these guys are – uh, defensive signees that shine. Who do you like? Well, had I asked you about the 2023 signing class, those would all be great answers, Josh. But I asked you about the 2022 signing class. Yes, you did. From a year ago that signed with Oklahoma. Those are the ones I want to know about because they've spent a year in the program now. But I love all your answers about 2023, and I don't want you to think I don't like your answers. I think those are great answers. That wasn't the question, though, sir. No, that is a that is a fair catch on your behalf. Uh, you know, obviously, I mean, some of the names that we've we've talked about, I think R. Mason Thomas, just because we've seen a little production from R. Mason Thomas, he's uh, he's an easy name, I think. Jaron Canick, everybody's excited about the electricity there. That's uh, an easy easy name defensively to look at. And then Gentry Williams, right? You're looking for defensive back help. Somebody that's that's been around the block already for Oklahoma a little bit. So, I mean, I guess that's that's one at each level, right? R. Mason Thomas up front. Jaron Canick, I, I don't think there's any doubt, is going to be much more heavily featured at linebacker for OU. I think the McCullough move is a pretty clear indication that that's going to be a case uh, or is going to be the case for Oklahoma. They can kind of put the puzzle pieces together on that. And then, yeah, I, I I would hope that either a Gentry Williams or a Robert Spears Jennings take a big-time leap. And Oklahoma needs that, man. If OU's going to be the type of team that's going to jump from 6-7 and seven to being back to Oklahoma and playing for a Big 12 championship and perhaps winning it, then probably all of those guys, or at least 75% of those guys, we're going to have to end next season and say, okay, here's our report card. Yeah, it looks good. It's a, it's a B-plus or, uh, or above for Oklahoma. I mean, the talent in the defensive backfield is significantly better than what it was a year ago. You added some really good players in Jaden Rowe and Gentry Williams and Robert Spears Jennings to your defensive secondary. And then you doubled down on that in the 2023 signing class with 
you know, Peyton Bowen and Makari Vickers and, you know, Josiah Wagner and Jacoby Johnson, and Eric McCarty, Kendall Dolby out of the Juco ranks. Like you made some significant additions to your recruiting or your, your roster over the last two off seasons on in the defensive backfield, uh, Reggie Pearson through the transfer portal that that's going to make everybody better. The talent that they have and they've added is going to make everybody better. Uh, and so I, I love, I think thinking of, the transformation that the defensive backfield is going to undergo because I think it's going to be a more physical and it's going to be a more intense defensive back group. They're not going to sit there. I'm sure there will be times in which they're sitting there playing 10 yards off the line of scrimmage, but I think that they're going to be playing in people's faces. They're going to be contesting, you know, catches a lot more. They're going to be, you know, helping out and run support. They're going to be a much more physical and fast group uh, as a whole. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that because I think, while there were issues in a lot of places defensively for Oklahoma last year, the last several years, over the course of the last several years, the Alex Grinch era, I felt like the defensive backfield was probably the the area that was the biggest struggle. Guys didn't live up to their recruiting rankings, their the expectations that came with those, and and as as a result, the defensive backfields were weren't very good. They were inconsistent. They got you know. NFL t- caliber players in like Trey Norwood and Trey Brown, but you really didn't have much else. And those are two guys that continued their upward trajectory. Even as they left Norman, they were continuing to get better. Um, whereas it seemed like for a lot of the guys, they kind of got stagnant or they plateaued and got worse. So the defensive backfield is kind of the biggest area that I'm looking at, like seeing a big step in improvement, seeing a big jump in production in ability uh, just because of what they've added over the last two cycles and the last two off seasons um, in Norman. As we get ready for spring, go ahead, Josh, you want to say something? Jaden Rowe, do we have an update on what's going on there? I, I don't know if he's going to be ready until like fall ball until August um, yeah. for camp. And obviously that's, that's going to be, it's going to really hamper his potential growth, but just because of the frame, you know, if, if, he is good to go then and you know impresses quickly then then maybe though obviously that that almost feels like that's going to push it back a little bit for him but just physically just physically because of what Oklahoma could could use on the back end uh, I, I mean I think that would be a, a, a great addition to have back there and somebody that's reliable six foot three uh, can go cover some people if he's you know healthy and ready to go could be a, a huge addition defensively who do you think starts along the defensive line? Oh man, it's uh, gosh, that, that's so hard right now because you brought all the transfer portal additions in. That makes it uh, incredibly, incredibly difficult. Can I can I offer a prediction? You, you may. Okay, so I think your your defensive ends are going to be Ethan Downs and Rondell Bothroyd. Okay, I think your defensive tackles will be Isaiah Coe and Jordan Kelly. Co is definitely going to start in my yeah, opinion think, for Oklahoma. I think in four man fronts, that's what it's going to look like in three man fronts. It's definitely to me downs co uh, Bothroyd. Cause it, you, you have a ton of size. You have guys that can both rush the passer and play the run. Uh, and then you get into like nickel situations. Um, if you're playing nickel or pass rush situations, I think that's when you bring in our Mason Thomas off, off the bench. And he probably, you know, substitutes for Ethan Downs because you have Bothroyd out there who's a, a proven pass rusher. 
Uh, but I think you could bring in, you know, R Mason and then maybe even kick Ethan Downs or, you know, kick Ethan Downs inside or kick Bothroyd inside and let them rust from a defensive tackle position. So that's kind of where I'd lean on that front. Yeah. And I mean, we'll see, uh, we'll see what a couple of these additions out of the transfer portal, how it all fits in together. It's going to be going to be interesting Sears. I mean, no chance for Sears. You don't think, I mean, I think he'll be a solid rotational player. I think, you know, he'll, he'll, I think he'll factor in similarly to like Jonah Lula uh, and that he'll be part of that defensive tackle rotation. Same with Jacob Lacey, but I just think like there's a, what we've seen from Kelly and co they've, they've gotten better and they got better last year. And I think they had really good years as kind of the backup defensive tackles. And I think they'll take another step this off season and continue to improve a lot of it. Like the familiarity, I think the coaches appreciate familiarity. And so while the transfers will have a significant role, I, I don't necessarily think Jacob Lacey or Sears will be starters. Now circle back in eight months and this could all change. Uh, we might, you know, hear buzz other elsewhere, but uh, those are the two guys I feel like played really, really well for Oklahoma and got better during the season. Uh, I mean, they splashed and they made splash plays in the, uh, the cheese it bowl for Oklahoma along the defensive line. So yeah, let me, let me look at those guys. I think those are the two that I'm kind of, identifying early uh, as far as who could potentially start and four man fronts for the Sooners. Yeah, there's man, there's some uh, pretty interesting names up front just because of all of the transfer portal additions. You think about Ford Sears, Lacey, obviously Bothroyd, who you talked about. I, I, you know, honestly up front, I think I probably like what I've seen just individually to their position. I probably like what I've seen consistently from Isaiah co honestly, the most mm-hmm. out of anybody. And yeah. uh, I'm surprised that Oklahoma fans, and maybe I'm speaking out of turn on this, but I feel like the hype train is not nearly as high for an Isaiah Cohen yet. I feel like he just gives you such steady play that across the board, everywhere else, it's kind of like, ah, maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll be great. But Isaiah Cohen, I feel like you, okay, maybe you're not going to get the most electric play inside for Oklahoma, but look, my man's going to be, steady steady as she goes and uh i think isaiah co deserves a little bit more credit for that than maybe probably he always gets yeah i think so too and and i think that's an important aspect and an important quality to have along the defensive line it's like this guy does his job it's not always flashy it's not always spectacular it doesn't always fill up the stat sheet but he does his job and he's reliable and that's why he he got as many snaps as he did even though he was a a backup defensive tackle Uh, at times he started games uh, if I remember right. So I think that's a guy to, to really look forward to and, and seeing and expecting kind of a, a bigger season for, because he's a guy that can play in three man fronts. He can play in four man fronts and he can give you, like you said, that steady play. And so I think it's important to watch later this week. We'll continue to dig into you know spring ball predictions, projections, you know, position battles to watch. We'll start. I mean, we'll mention baseball. We'll talk about baseball as well. They had a big weekend. Um, won the season series or the, the weekend series over Ryder. Uh, got a, a big run rule win on Sunday in the rubber match, but uh, baseball, you're going to have to continue to do more to make sure you're on everybody's radar, but uh, you know, good, a solid start to the season. Uh, they've got some work to do to, to continue to get better. Uh, but man, all week long, we'll get you ready. There's a big recruiting weekend. It's going to be coming up this weekend uh, in Norman, one of two in the month of March. Uh, so we'll, you know, we'll talk about that as well, but uh, Josh, any parting thoughts as we head out the door on tonight's episode of locked on Sooners live. Oh, I just think, you know, obviously we're what 
inside of two months away, believe it or not, from the spring game for Oklahoma. So, uh, and what do they start? They start practice on the 22nd of March. Is do I have that date right? Uh, maybe I'm way off. Maybe it's way sooner than that, but uh, let me double check that before I start spouting off the wrong stuff. But long story short is we're not too far away from talking a little bit more. I don't know if intimately is the right word. That's probably not the right with, with greater education and clarity on what some of these position battles look like and how some of the newcomers look. So that's going to be fun throughout the spring. That question to close right there from Dominic about Kobe McKenzie. I think that there's some other guys that have kind of leapfrogged in front of Kobe McKenzie is sort of the buzz I, I hear. I know everybody's excited about a Jaron Canick, but I hear really good things privately about a Kip Lewis that the coaching staff is pretty high on some of the things that uh, that Kip Lewis has done and not not necessarily as much maybe for Kobe McKenzie, which frankly to me is a little bit surprising, John, but these are some of the storylines we will be discussing and following as uh, obviously we progress throughout the spring here, but just want to say thank you to all of uh, you. Hope everybody's safe. Hope uh, your, your homes and everything are all good. I know we're in the storm season now and it, it hit us uh, pretty good last night in the state of Oklahoma, but uh, just thank you guys for your continued support of locked on Sooners. And uh, until next time. Yep. Thanks for joining the show, being part of it every Monday night, 9 PM central time, uh, 10 Eastern for those of you on the East coast. Uh, thank you so much for being a part of the show Again, subscribe to locked on soon as wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, hit that notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop, but until next time he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. We'll catch you then boomer sooner.